Welcome to Health 4.0 Leadership Podcast. My name is Namrata Bagaria and I'm your host. My guest today is Kareem Delgado. Welcome, Kareem. Thank you. And Kareem is the CEO and Head of Product R&D at Brain Mechanics, which is based in Calgary. So Kareem, as you know, this podcast is aimed to create a Health 4.0 Leadership Institute, which basically is for creating capacity building to understand what Health 4.0 is and how is it different or same to Industry 4.0. So can you explain to our listeners, where are you contributing in the present health ecosystem, in what capacity, and what are your top three mandates? Uh, yeah, so uh, we have two areas that we're really focusing on. Um, about six years ago, my father passed away from Alzheimer's, and I kind of made it my mission in life, find my life purpose uh, around th that mission. And so we, we're really focusing on trying to find a solution for Alzheimer's. And on this journey on trying to find a solution to Alzheimer's, uh, we realized that we needed to do quite a lot of innovation on capturing data sets on people, um, you know, technologies, health technologies that could help us, enable us to actually capture big data of the body, right? Mm -hmm. Taking a systems biology approach of, you know, uh, proteomics, metabolomics, genomics, uh, macrobiomics, and trying to capture the, a big picture of the, of, of the body from the biometrics and biomarkers, right? Uh, so things like taking, you know, um, lab tests and run it through AI tool to then uh, like a blood, blood sample, like, you know, $60 blood sample, you can run it through AI tool and get about $2,500 worth of data, right? So, you know, try to innovate in a way that we could take uh, standard things and, and make them better to, to really start, you know, projecting a, a big picture of quantification of the body. We've had to innovate quite a lot on the uh, biometrics. So things like, you know, we could literally now are able to quantify an Alzheimer's patient's uh, brain functions faster and cheaper than pretty much anyone else. So replacing an fMRI, you know, um, you know so, so things like this, right? Uh, and, and we really uh, are, are trying to innovate on, on trying to find a solution to treat Alzheimer's at scale. So we really have to be pretty crafty on how we actually use technology. Um, and so we, we've, in essence, we, we've uh, started a foundation called Brain Mechanics Foundation where we're, we're building uh, the, the foundation of open source health. We feel like, uh, you know, th these innovations, we want to not only build ourselves to, to help Alzheimer's patients, but to help the world. Uh, so we're building open source blueprints, if you will, uh, recipes. They all, may all, they all might not be open source, but we're sharing the entire blueprint. That might have something that might be proprietary, but if you add that into an open source software or you have a design for like an EEG, for example, or something else like that, then we share those recipes, right? And we're doing that with technology as well as we're doing it with actual therapies. Um, so on the technology side, we, we, we're working on a, on a technology called XAI, Explainable AI. And we, we've literally built, last year, we built an explainable AI that, that explains its findings using natural language. And we're making that open source. Uh, we're also working on the Alzheimer's resolution, which is a medical protocol to stop and reverse cognitive decline of Alzheimer's. And you know that, that's pretty rich. I mean, that one has functional medicine, it has cognitive therapy, bioenergetic medicine. You know, we're adding in nanopharmaceuticals, uh, you know, molecular activated drug therapies, and even cell therapy. So we're kind of coming together to try to get this, you know, solve the problem at, at, at the root cause, and then building an entire health technology infrastructure to be able to to then treat at scale. So we could actually help. You know, we have a concept called brain mechanic, where a person could be, you know, help their loved one. Uh, you know, with Alzheimer's at, at, at the edge. So they don't necessarily have to be, they're more like technicians 
uh, they, they don't necessarily have to be the experts. The experts would be on the cloud. So we've, we've re really built this, this platform and we're gonna be making it available uh, open source to the world. Awesome. So this is almost like convergence of technology and you're making the blueprint for digital twins of a human being. And we had a little chat before this, almost like the research that I do at University of Ottawa, which is so exciting to find like-minded uh, people who believe in open source systems. Um, so Kareem, tell me, this is not easy. I know that from my personal experience. So what were your challenges? What were your learnings? And what were your top three takeaways from your journey so far? Um, you know what, the challenges was just really letting go, you know, just letting go of ego, letting go of these things, just, just let go and just kind of get in the flow of just trusting the universe to, to take it to, to where I need to go, right? So in order for that to happen, a part of me has to die, right? Like identity of who I am has to pass away and then has to be uh, emptied out, right? Uh, so, you know, the challenge is constantly trying to, to, to do that on a daily basis. And it's so wonderful when you let go just you, you there's so much abundance because it's not you it's this flow that flows through you um and i would say that that was initially the hardest part is not hard anymore i mean it's just it just flow and things just kind of manifest uh you know but what, what you know for me uh, my background is on uh product management on the r d side right i am a health coach and you know i am certified in different functional medicine protocols like recode for example that's able to stop and reverse cognitive decline using functional medicine uh, and others, heart math and other different techniques and, you know, been a meditator. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, like, uh, it was interesting because, uh, you know, I realized that, you know, I'm, I'm no one, right? But if I, if I open up my heart and then start connecting with others and sharing the story, then, you know, we've literally now started from myself to three people to now we're in six different countries mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, nine different uh, labs and, and different centers around the world that are all collaborating and we're all kind of opening up and, and, and working together. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's kind of the, some of the challenges that we face, but I'm sorry, what were the other questions? I didn't take any notes. <laughs> no problem. The challenge is like, what were the challenges and then what did you learn from them? So what would be your top three learnings? So the first is yeah. letting go. And yeah, absolutely. Flow. Absolutely letting go. Uh, number two is, you know, you know, you can't do it all yourself, right? So you have to collaborate with, with people. Um, and number three is that you have to think different. Like uh, the model that we have right now, uh, my father was a physician, my brother's a physician, uh, my sister's a nurse. So I've been, I come from a medical background and I'm not knocking traditional medicine. I think it's wonderful. Like, you know, my father became a physician because it was his, his volition to help people you know, he was a really good man. He started orphanages and, and helped out. You know, he was a gastroenterologist for many, many years. Uh, and he wanted to help people. And that was his volition. And then medicine mm -hmm. turned into a volumes business and a billing system. Mm -hmm. And now doctors, are, unfortunately, is not so un such an enjoyable experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I realized that uh, the medical field right now is severely challenged because it's, it's having this volume imposed on them. You know, my dad used to say, patient's going to tell you what's wrong with them. You know, he's got to have a conversation. You would walk and meet the patient in the waiting room and we would talk at his desk and then he would do a procedure afterwards. Gastroenterologist, not the most mm. pleasant thing in the world, right? But, mm. but he tried to establish a repertoire with him and, and talk to them as human beings, right? Mm. Uh, having a conversation. And, uh, you know, he saw that things were deteriorating at a point where now it's, he couldn't, you know, he was kind of forced to stop doing that and he decided not to do that. But but, you know, right now, doctors, you know, on average, it's about six minutes per visit. They're trying to bring it down to four minutes. 
and they're having issues with lady doctors, but you, because they, they, they want to talk to patients, they take eight minutes for patients, you know, like crazy, right? Talking to people. So, so I think the challenge is now, how do we then, you know, you, you're not going to be able to change that, right? Because it is a system, it is a volume. But I do think that, you know, having things like healthcare 4.0 and, and be able to, to start augmenting, you know, information and the doctor feeding it with big data of the body where they go away, you know, can capture big samples of what's going on with the patient so that you don't necessarily, if you're, you're going to have, if you're cutting out the health history and cutting out the visitation, at least you have inform, information that can help you, uh, you know, b make informed decisions. That's why I think our, our XAI technology is so important mm -hmm. because it can go deep, wide, and reinforcement learning, but it can also explain itself using natural language yes. and tap into the, the world's biomedical library yes. uh, to, to, to help at least a doctor understand that, you know, this patient has 75% probability, and this is why the AI thinks that it does. It's mm -hmm. not like a black box like currently. It'll tell you 75%, yes. and we think, like, it's because of X, Y, and Z. And then he can make informed decisions, right? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, this is very fascinating. I mean, you touched upon a couple of things which I personally think are very important too. For example, the concept of letting go and collaborating, which talks a lot about soft skills. And one of my other initiatives, which you know about is Namology. And this was the concept was to create the leadership for digital transformation. Because when you're going to work with different people who come from different trainings, different cultures, different uh, uh, expectations of what health is and what they can do. Like for me, I've been in this field for 10 years and I have seen the reason it fails is not technology. It's human beings. So mm. that's one learning. And the second thing which you mentioned was very interesting is explainable AI. I mean, I had a conversation last year with somebody from the space agencies and they were like, we need AI because when you have astronauts in space and you're monitoring their health and they're for a long time in space, uh, we cannot have a black box approach, especially with the manned mission to Mars. And now mm -hmm. even with the COVID that's out, out there, uh, the government of Ontario is building a database, health record database, but it's not just the databases which will solve the problem. You need to know what exactly you want to solve first and then have the data come in accordingly. So I think these are great uh, challenges of uh, trust and of uh, leadership that you've pointed out. And, and then, then this comes to my next question, which is sort of naturally weaving in how, what is your vision of health 4.0? Like, what do you think are the opportunities? Uh, yeah. And what I think you, that, okay. Yeah, sorry, I, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, what do you think are the opportunities and the technologies that can get that together? So. Yeah, I think we need to reimagine. Like, I think, you know, for me, I'm not a medical doctor and it's a, it's a blessing. I am a meta researcher. So I, I do research on research and I'm a systems thinking guy. So, so to me, these are, Lego pieces. I might talk to Dr. Shotmel, for example, and say, Doc, what's the KPI that we have to look at? And then yeah. I'm a biohacker and I look to ways of actually quantify it faster and cheaper, right? But I think in order for, for the shape, the vision of healthcare 4.0, uh, what I've learned in brain mechanics and why we've been able to do such fantastic work and, and just, you know, really innovate really quickly is that you really need uh, to have not just doctors, but you need technologists, you need an interdisciplinary team Yes. And, and, and really working out like this whole idea of like having something, an innovation, and then waiting 17 years to get it out there. Like, that's silly. Like, there's no yeah. reason why it should be that way. Like, we really, we, the way we've been doing it, we, we, we have an alpha team and we do a lot of rapid prototyping. So, you know, literally I could take a, a device manufacturer, send me a device and I can capture data points 
in a matter of six weeks, right? And I can really hit it up and, and understand in an agile way to where the waypoint is to then do maybe a deeper study, right? So we do quite a lot of feasibility, accelerated feasibility lab uh, around that. And, and then we then take it and we say, how can we then take that thing that's been validated and integrate it into a product or a service that we could actually provide? And then once we have that uh, on an actual proof of concept, then we actually deploy it on a clinic. So we've got clinics where we work on in, in, in Colorado, where we have autistic kids. We have clinics in you know, Bogota, Colombia, with the Cell Institute there, where we have really, really deep cellular therapies, and we're all collaborating. Um, and it's really all about having the interdisciplinary teams and then just supporting it and, and just going, going, going. Uh, when you talk about COVID-19, COVID and the issues there, that's what's required. Like, I don't understand, like, how can, I mean, look, I'm, I guarantee you, if we had like a million dollars and you and I and others got together, we say, how can we actually start hacking these things to get accelerated, you know, things, when, when our mental volition is all about solving a problem at scale and a social problem, the money part works itself out. Mm -hmm. You just, you don't, you don't think about commercializing, you think about how can we solve that person mm -hmm. who's on Alzheimer's mm -hmm. and their family, how can we cure them? Mm -hmm. Let's worry mm -hmm. about reverse engineering a business plan. And in a way, that's what we've done. And in a way, that's what humanity needs to do. Like we really need rapid prototyping of vaccines. We need rapid prototyping of, you know, mm -hmm. RNA testing. We, we really need to build this infrastructure mm -hmm. and we need to come together. I just find it hard to believe that like, hello, let's wake up. Like it's, yep. we're all in the same boat here. And you know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> there is- I hear anything. you, I feel you. No, I mean, I think uh, coming to this point of rapid prototyping and testing, and you know, I'm doing a PhD at University of Ottawa. So one of the things I did was I took a lesson in health, health technology assessment. So that was my PhD major for my comprehensive. And the second thing I took was agile software development. And this is for me, uh, so I'm one of those researchers who's looking at, okay, here's agile and here is what is going to get you reimbursed, what's going to get regulated and what's going to be like, okay, you can use it. And now a lot of the times, a lot of uh, companies will take the consumer health approach, which is great, take it. But then even then the consumer technologies have to talk at some point to each other as we go towards an IoT system, right? So the interoperability becomes an issue. So I think apart from the rapid testing that you mentioned, which is needed, what Health 4.0 is also looking at rapid policy development, because mm -hmm. you cannot have regulations uh, taking so much time to say, yes, we will reimburse. No, we won't reimburse because technology is already at, well, like we're waiting for now 5G to be like, you know, it's already there. They're doing 6G research, there's quantum computing happening and we are still doing paper and sending snail mails for patients to get appointments. Like there's a huge, from 1.0 yeah. to like 6.0 or 7.0, you know, it's a huge gap. <laughs> Well, you know, I think you touched some points here. So it's interesting. So I agree with you. And I think what happens is, look, systems uh, take shape in, in all well-being and all, all, you know, like good mental relations, like, you know, healthcare, for example. You have a system and it's like, let's help people, let's keep them healthy. But eventually what happens, these systems become so complex. And then the yeah. mission of helping people and, and, and curing people uh, kind of gets a little bit distorted and it becomes a bureaucratic system. And then at that point, the bureaucracy then is there to maintain itself and, and survive, right? So, so the shift kind of shifts around that. So when you talk about policy and existing systems, that, that is like, you know, I think we could cha change that if we show the bureaucratic system that, hey, this is actually how we can save you money. Like literally we could capture with brain mechanics and what we're doing, 
Um, we're working on a deal with Calico where we're actually capturing brain functional health for, mm -hmm. for a tenth of a penny what it would cost them per data set, mm -hmm. right? So who wouldn't want to have that, right? Or if you're talking about eradicating Alzheimer's for $20,000, Mm -hmm. You know, who wouldn't want to have that when it costs you $350,000, right? So, it's, so I think we can't be also like idealists saying, you know, we, we're going to change it. I think we could change it by actually show them the way path forward to say, here's some cost savings. You know, let's change the system around. Let's get a little bit faster. If you can show them the money, I think that's going to happen. The second thing that you mentioned is consumer electronics. I'm real, really passionate uh, on, on our labs here in Calgary. Um, we don't have the sophisticated equipment like they do in Colombia and other places. Uh, so we partner up with them, you know, things like, you know, shockwave therapy and all this kinds of big equipment, but our PMS systems. Are, but what we do focus is on wearables. So, so we're really big on wearables where things that, you know, we feel like we could, you know, either remotely monitor a patient or treat them remotely with different powerful therapies on, on bioenergetics and things like that. But we've also taken an approach where we said, you know what, um, you know, let's say we do need a medical test. Let's say we do need an fMRI, right? But maybe instead of having, you know, like uh, this deal with Calico, you know, they're, they're wanting to actually do a cell therapy and they're, they're needing, they're initially they wanted to do two MRIs, one before and one after. And it would cost them $3,500 per fMRI to do this, right? So it would be about seven grand. So I'm talking to uh, Dr. Torres, uh, our, our cell specialist, and I'm asking him, why are we only doing two? And he said, well, it's $3,500 times two is $7,000 when we have 100 participants at $700,000. I said, that's, you know, I said, but in your world, is that, is that good data? He's like, no, it's like, it's like an AM radio and resolution of data. And I said, okay, well, how about we do this? How about we actually build you a, an 8K TV? I said, what do, what do you mean? It's like, well, how many data sets would it be to get the high resolution that you're needing to get, you know, information on? This therapy approach is like, well, ideally it'd be like two samples a week, but we can't do that. You know, we're in Bogota, Colombia. These are people who have orphan neurological disorders and they're not going to travel to a lab, even if we could afford it. Right. So we said, okay, so we, we build them a solution where we actually are able to capture two data sets per week. And this is a six month study. So it's 48 different samples throughout the, 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 the plus times 100 patients. So it'd be about $16.5 million worth of data. We could do it for 165,000, right? And not only that, we, we said, he said, but you still have the problem with patients going to the clinic. It's like, okay, so we, we build them the equivalent of a satellite TV so they don't even have to go anywhere. They can do the samples from home, right? That's what this type of technologies empower, right? And if, and if you go to a medical field and you say, look, you're right now, you're limited to $16.5 million or 165,000, that's when we change the system, when we have solutions that actually, now you're saying, okay, we wanna do digital twin, but we need lots of data to feed big data of the body to run simulations, right? So we really have to break the bottleneck of the initial setup. Now, another approach that we take is, we take the medical uh, grade equipment, so maybe still do an fMRI, you know, uh, every so often, but, but then, you know, but then you actually take in like you might use consumer electronics and maybe an MRI would be a, a bad example because it's not, um, there, there's a consumer electronics, but you know, say for example, uh, heart rate samples or EEGs or something like that, right? So, so you could still take a sample, you know, on, on like maybe once every three months on a gold standard, but at the end of the day, like what you care about is trends. You care about, is this person's trend going up or down? What is it going? It's like a, it's a compass, right? And what we've done at Brain Mechanics, we've actually, calculated the variances between consumer electronic devices that are 
pretty good now. And, and then against a gold standard, and now with those variances, we really don't need the medical gear until later on if we want to actually keep that check, like a milestone per se. But you care about these two-week sprints where we actually do an intervention and we check to see what their physiology and biology changes are within two weeks. Not everything takes that, that short period of time to change. But, but anyway, measure two weeks, and then we, we then capture that, and then we're able to actually talk about when people talk about personalized medicine and evidence-based, that's what we talk about in brain mechanics. We talk about actually like, okay, you know, in theory, evidence says that if we do this, it would work for your biology, but we need to test it out for your biology, right? That might not work. So you might try something for two weeks and for that person, it doesn't work. So then we need to then take that evidence and say, let's try something else, right? And two weeks, right? So that's where we're, we're, we're looking to innovate quite a bit on actually taking an agile approach um, and, and really have this rapid prototyping. And eventually, I think this type of infrastructure of technology and this philosophy could then enable for us to start building these digital twins. Mm-hmm. Now you're talking about, you know, we've captured this information for this person. Now let's use a, a data, a, a simulation environment and run simulations to see what these, oppo- that mm-hmm. these things would actually happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 I mean, there's uh, there are plenty of things that would need to go. And one side also have... A meaningful dashboards, avatars, and interactive elements because this is all the back end and the end, the customer and the consumer. Firstly, nobody's ever seen their human body. Like today, the way we look or the way I understand my body is on a paper or a record or something. And as we start aggregating this, there will be so much needed to socially market this concept to educate people about what health is. And that's sort of what this podcast is aiming. So Kareem, um, you've mentioned your vision sort of is convergence, is a rapid prototyping, quick, uh, reducing the time from research to kind of uh, the actual uh, usable uh, product for a consumer. What do you think are the obstacles? Well, I think that uh, for us, uh, we have to, we have to, what, what, what we realize is that um, there are barriers. There's a, you know, there's a, you know, we're kind of like rebels doing all this stuff, right? At the end of the day, we need to interface with the traditional yes. modern medicine, right? Mm-hmm. So, so right now we're looking to launch clinical trials from the Alzheimer's resolution. So we, we, it's going to be bona fide certified. Honestly, once it's validated my mission in life, like I can, I can die the next day and I would fulfill my purpose, but we're going to keep going. Um, but it's interesting because every time you have a, an, like an obstacle or, or a thing, it presents so many opportunities. So, yeah. so we realized too that, um, you know, it takes time to have these things kind of flushed out and be accepted by medicine, right? And there's also uh, litigation, right? There's malpractice and other things, right? So we really need to be mindful of that. But what I saw is that I realized that we're not ready yet to launch that because of these, this friction. But what I saw is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I saw that in this protocol has eight steps and, and uh, a few of the steps are related to optimizing the emotion, emotional level, the automatic nervous system, and also, uh, you know, optimizing people's brain performance, right? Um, you know, like Alzheimer's patients, they have prefrontal cortex or atrophy and things like that. So, uh, you know, and then, and then sleep, right? So sleep is a big thing for Alzheimer's patients. And I'm talking to this, this doctors or saying, you know what, like, I mean, it's great we want to cure Alzheimer's, but let me tell you, there's a lot of people who have sleep is huge problem. Emotional regulation is a huge problem. This is before the age of COVID, right? Uh, and even like brain functioning is a huge problem. I said, you know what? We should take this little three pieces and maybe what we could do is there's a whole great area here where, you know, you have people who are healthy people and then you have the disease, right? And there is a whole spectrum in the middle called a wellness space 
that is really not properly being addressed, right? So, so now what we've done is we started with a foundation. What we realized that, you know, instead of having to fundraise and, and try to get donations and all that stuff and be, you know, hand me a fish, right? We realized, you know what, why don't we build a fishing rod here? Why don't we start a social enterprise called Brand Mechanics Corp and we can go into the market with solutions to help people to, you know, govern their emotions, but taking a, an evidence-based approach, like actually quantification to say, you know what, I'm going to show somebody that they're getting better by measuring the autonomic nervous system and the vagal tone, and this is our therapy's work, right? I'm going to show somebody that, that they're going to get better by actually having a micronized PSG in their head to show them that, hey, every night you go to sleep is equivalent of a sleep study, and you're getting better in your sleep, right? I want to do that on their brain functions, right? So now we, we spun this out, and now we're, we're launching uh, tomorrow uh, at brainmechanics.io. Uh, we're launching this into the world, and we're making cost-effective solutions um, to make people, you know, uh, you know they're, they're, they're be able to reduce their stress, sleep better, and just perform better, right? And, and these things include neurofeedback, biofeedback. We've got wearables that have AI, you know, things like for an ER patient uh, or an ER, not patient, ER um, worker, you know, some of these people can't even tell their stress. So we got a wearable that measures the stress levels and their stress, it vibrates, and it vibrates, it's a great time for you to do your 478 breathing, you mm -hmm. know, or maybe a little box breathing, which is what they teach the Navy SEALs to regulate themselves, right? Or another, or, or psychophysiological coherence uh, techniques, right? Mm -hmm. and, if, and if you're super stressed, we literally have wearables where you press two buttons and it hacks into your salient network to actually hack into your autonomic nervous system. And now we're hacking into it. And now within a matter of three minutes, you're completely regulated, right? Mm -hmm. that, those are kind of the services that we're looking to bring into the world uh, to really get in the front lines and start helping out. And we believe uh, there's some statistics uh, that you know, 75 to 90% of all medical issues, they say it's all related to stress, right? Yes. I don't know if that's that. Yes. I don't know how- I've been how, how, physician and yes. Okay, so I, I don't know how, how valid that is, but let's say it's 50%. Even if it's still 50%, if we could actually start helping regulate, turning the tide on some of these stress issues, that stress and sleep and mental performance are all kind of the same thing, you know, related to each other. And they're all really powerful epigenetic triggers, mm -hmm. right? So if you're able to modulate your reaction to your environment and control your internal environment, like, look, you know, we're like boats on an ocean. You know, we can't control the winds, we can't control the waves, but we do have these beautiful sails that we can direct. And we do have this mass where we can actually, this wheel that we can turn our ships towards. And if we do that, then we become masters of our emotions and our, our reactions. And then that's gonna help us to start turning the tide of all these different diseases, including some Alzheimer's, you know, triggers of inflammation and things like that, and, and so many others. So that's what we feel like we're, we're really building a brain mechanics and we want to make it super affordable for people to actually get this, this quantified platform to help them uh, deliver these multimodal therapies that are going to be just life changing. Mm -hmm. So Kareem, we know the obstacles. What do you think is the motivation? What is the motivation to adopt this brain mechanics or health 4.0? What is the motivation to adopt technology? Um, I, I think that people don't really care about technology. I think that what happens is they're going to care about results. So mm -hmm. I think where we are different is we can actually, because I'm not a doctor, <laughs> we have doctors and staff, but the whole idea is we want to show quantifiable results, mm -hmm. right? So everything that we do at Brain Mechanics is quantifiable, right? Because we, we have to take just in an agile methodology approach, you do transparency, inspection, adaptation. Mm -hmm. So you have to make this 
patient's data transparent to a system, you have to inspect it every so often and you have to adapt, right? So we believe that we're building a methodology or an approach that's coupled with technologies and therapies that we feel like we're gonna be able to deliver the results. And I think people at the end of the day care about results and they care about being approachable and affordable. Like, you look, neurofeedback's wonderful, you know, but at the end of the day, if it's going to cost me $200 to, to have my kid who's got ADHD or somebody who's got an addiction or somebody who's chronically depressed to treat them per session, that's too much, right? So we're coming up with ways where like literally about, you know, 50, 60 bucks, you get unlimited neurofeedback a month, right? So it's like, you really have to look at it not to, and we're still, we're still going to be profitable, uh, you know, but you really need to look at it from a mental volition perspective that your intent is to helping people at scale. So you can help just maybe a thousand people charging them 200 bucks a month, or you can help hundreds of thousands of people by charging 50 or 60 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the difference, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's where we feel like, uh, and we're a bunch of Vipassana meditators and heart math yep. people. So, <laughs> so yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, as long as we solve that social problem, we're, we're happy. And, and coming to ethical behavior, uh, it would also help the listeners understand how you take care of privacy and uh, compliances. If you can shed some light on that too. Yeah, so all, everything that we do is HIPAA and PIPA compliant. So all of our platforms are HIPAA and PIPA compliant. Um, so, you know, that's how we do things, uh, you know, and, and we try to implement that as well with, with our, our consumer electronics. So, you know, so we're not inventing devices. We're constantly uh, integrating. We're integrators, right? I'm constantly looking at, you know, I've got a wearable that hikes into autonomic nervous system. Version one is already out there. We're looking at version two and even version three, right? And how is version two going to be cheaper and faster and better, right? So, and when, when we, what we do is we then take, we integrate on the back end to this consumer electronics. So the, the, the consumer owns the data, mm -hmm. but we need to take this data, we need to integrate it, and, and we are HIPAA and PIPA compliant. Mm -hmm. We are now um, taking on a project in, a, in about six months uh, on actually building the back end infrastructure for a blockchain. Uh, so we are building a healthy chain, we call it. Mm -hmm. And the healthy chain, the whole vision there is that the patient, the person who's, who we're helping, they're gonna have complete control of their data and they're gonna be able to either, uh, following a, a Dhamma philosophy, either yeah. donate it and get something you know, in return because if you donate your data, you're now gonna be able to run simulations around the world, make the world a better place. So you have power mm -hmm. on your health data to help others, isn't that wonderful, right? Yeah, um, it's and, participation, and, yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and then, so you can make it available for free or you could or you could then maybe you know if it's a, a study and other participants or other researchers that need it and it's a paid study then they would actually be able to sell their data right but i think the patient should own the data i think it's their their yes. their data and and they have the power and that's when you get into now harnessing that data to do digital twin initiatives to then say you know what you know if you build imagine a digital twin service where it's like if you donate your data we'll give you Free digital twin services you yes, know yes wouldn't yes. that be wonderful right and those are the business models that will come out of this whole disruptive thinking and this is exactly where health 4.0 summit is looking at which is in june and i know you're coming this year so um what do you think uh, is going to be there for you at the summit and can you tell me your expectations from the health 4.0 summit you know what i i just want to meet the rest of the tribe that's working on this and I want to say, you know what, I'm going to open my heart and I'm going to give everything that I have to the tribe. And, and then whatever happens, happens. I, I, you know, that, that's my expectation. You know, I think that 
that when you're working on 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 changing things and, and trying to make the world a better place, sometimes you know I feel like I'm a little hot coal in Calgary. You know, I need to connect with another hot coal maybe in Ottawa and mm -hmm. in Colombia and Japan. But you know what? I'm not a longer a, a, a coal that's by itself. I've got about eight coals, and now we've got a little bit of a fire going on. And if we can actually get some other coals that are out yeah. there that are cold, getting cold and say, hey, join us, we can get this fire pit going, and awesome. we can change the world, literally. Awesome. So as I speak to you today, I have uh, this podcast in Japan, in India, US, Mexico, Brazil, Israel. And um, so we are around in eight, seven, eight countries as of now. And... Uh, <laughs> So yeah, so don't worry, we're going to create a global, um, you know, positive fire of change, because uh, this is exciting. So thank you, Kareem, so much. And if you can once again, tell about your uh, website, that'll be helpful. Yeah, yeah. so, so the, the not-for-profit is brainmechanics.org, mm -hmm. uh, which is, uh, you, you could see there's 18 projects that we love people to collaborate on. They're all mm -hmm. going to be open source projects. Uh, and then, and then brainmechanics.io uh, mm -hmm. is, is our social enterprise. So it is something that uh, we're taking 20% uh, of our profits now, and we're going to feed it into the R&D. And when we've got just beautiful collaborations with different universities and, and different equipment manufacturers and folks are sending us equipment all the time. Um, and we do have a platform where we can quantify things really cheap. Uh, so, you know, we're open to collaborations. We love collaborations. Uh, we realize that these problems are, are big problems. And if you're ready to open your heart and, and join the cause, let's do it. We're, we're, you'll find a willing partner with us. Awesome. And uh, if you want to meet Kareem and other such amazing people and innovators, please come to the Healthful Summit, which is in June. And the website is www.healthful.tech. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kareem. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Take care.